0: Welcome to the Recover You Podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Turkheen. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Patrick, you know what I like? What do you like? I really like singing in the shower, but you know the problem with that is when you get soap in your mouth, and then it becomes a soap opera. Ah. <laughs> that's pretty
1: good
0: on yeah. me. You're, you're incredible. Incredible. Especially since I sing opera.
1: Yep. That was pretty good. I,
0: feel like I actually good.
1: thought you were just telling me a story. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, you sing in the shower? I've never heard you sing in the shower. Really? Yeah, I've never heard you. I know I sing in the shower.
0: You have heard me sing in the shower. I don't
1: know. Ah uh, yes, that's true. I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Well, most of the time it's because you uh, have already left for work, right? And I don't actually the power that often anyway, yeah. so there you yeah. go. Okay. Too many details. All right. So today we are talking about the idea of spiritual bypassing. So we're going to talk about what that is and how that shows up. And in this conversation, it may be a little overlapped with spiritual abuse. And so um, we want to be really conscientious about how we talk about this because, spirit, because it's when I think of spiritual bypassing, I tend to get a little upset because I do feel like a lot of times it is used in, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking at? Concordance in accord in, in together with together with what's the word? Together with in
2: accordance with
0: in accordance with no I don't in, know. okay together I'm just gonna say together to with it's it. <laughs> a fancy word mm-hmm. for it yeah anyway I'm falling into the pattern you said I can't I have issues with words when we record the podcast. Just <laughs> following that train of thought. Okay. Anyway, so I get really irritated sometimes thinking about spiritual bypassing because, first of all, I think it's a cop out a lot of times, um, but also because I think a lot of times it is used in accordance with simultaneously with um, spiritual views in order to manipulate and control people. And it's used a lot as an excuse. But the reason I say I want to be careful about talking about this is because I really, I do do believe that it is also used by people in a very sincere manner when they are, you know, truly seeking to be a quote unquote good Christian Mm -hmm. and seek God Mm -hmm. and, you know, give him control of their lives and things like that. So I want to sort of balance this conversation because I I really do feel like there there is a spectrum and it does fall on both sides. I do not think, regardless of the intention you come at it with, that it really makes a difference. I think Mm -hmm. it is not helpful at all. So um, so that's kind of what we're talking about today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with what is spiritual bypassing. So spiritual bypassing is the idea that you use your spirituality or your faith or spiritual terms or what, you know, we often call Christianese language, right. To essentially bypass something. And and in this context, it's typically bypassing the difficult work that it takes to actually heal and to recover. And so a lot of times the way this looks is um, by, because Oh, here's an example of how it might happen with like a, a person that has done the betraying and is recovering from addiction. They start to get into sobriety. And part of that process is recognizing that without the addiction, you start to feel emotions, right? Mm-hmm. That's scary for anybody to go from totally numbed out or having some sort of coping mechanism that works incredibly effectively to, I now have anxiety or depression and I don't know what to do with this, Right. And so a lot of times mentally, psychologically, there becomes this default of like, well, I, I don't feel safe feeling this. And, and and all of this is on like a subconscious level, right? Like nobody is actually consciously going to have this conversation with someone and say, no, I just didn't want to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. On a subconscious protection level, level though, it goes, this is really scary. The idea of facing and feeling emotions that I've never felt completely is so terrifying to me that I want to find another way to cope with it. And so then spiritual bypassing becomes a coping mechanism where, well, if I just say that God's in control or I put the pressure on, I, all I have to do is pray. Number one, I look like a really good person. I look very spiritual. And I feel like I'm, I'm doing the right thing because I'm putting all the pressure on God. And two, all of the responsibility for me to do any work whatsoever is gone, which means I don't have to sit in the emotions anymore. I don't have to go to therapy. I don't have to go to group. I don't have to think about this. I don't actually have to face any of my trauma. I don't have to deal with any of the tough emotions and fears and insecurities. Therefore, that sounds like a much better idea to me. To say, well, I'm I'm praying. That's all I need to do. Then it does to say, I'm actually going to sit in a therapist's office, or or coach, or practitioner, whatever route you go, and really pull apart my beliefs about why I am an unworthy human being, and why I or why I feel that way, and where that came from from being abandoned in my childhood, or you know, being bullied in middle school, or whatever.
1: So I think there's a lot of um there's a lot of things that, that that play into this notion of spiritual bypass. And some of it from a secular society, you can think about how we've been able to um, do hard things through the advent of science and technology and get them resolved quickly. So for example, you can hop on an airplane in New York and fly to LA in three and a half, four hours, right? What used to take hours to go by train or by car, you know, right? So there's that. You have a headache, you take a pill, the headache goes away, you get your gallbladder out, it's a you know, 20 minute surgery and then you're okay. And so I think there's, there's a lot of things that, that, and you see this in people when they really want to go through hard change and just taking it away from, from, you know, like losing weight is a, and getting in shape. Those are long processes. Mm -hmm. Those aren't three week processes Mm -hmm. or two week processes. You know, if you, you you just cannot get, you know, like if you go too fast in a fitness regime, what happens? You get hurt. Mm -hmm. If you um, engage in a crash diet. Generally, it's not effective. It doesn't last long. Or you can you know, in, induce some sort of medical harm to you if you do something like that, right? So anything that takes time, you know, I think there, there are, are facets of our just our general society, non-religious, that has um, created this mindset that things can just happen quickly. And spiritual bypass feeds into that. I think the the second notion... Or the second contributor to that is because of the church's unwillingness or um, inability to address this problem, they have created the sense that that you should be able to fix it. So yeah, you know, and, and there's a lot of examples. So like like here's a good example, and 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 whether it's well intentioned or not, I'm not going to draw on that. I'm just going to talk about the impact of it. So if a if a uh, a man is told, well, just stop it and pray. And then you know you'll be okay mm-hmm. by his pastor. He views the pastor as the authority figure and says, right. "Well, I should be able to do that." And then feels further shame when they can't.
0: Well, and then it also plays into the where if you talk about church roles and faith, you're also getting into the hierarchical, um, you know, male over female. Right. Um, I was
1: going to say like. Another part of that is if the if the church leadership tells the wife, we'll have more sex with him. Mm-hmm. And and they're not, you know, they're not trying to be evil to each other, right? They're, let's say they're just trying to heal, that creates this, well, it's just a simple fix.
0: Yeah, but what and I was not thinking,
1: really a simple fix.
0: No, not at all. And and that's not simple either. That's that totally, really a yeah, yeah, it's
1: abusive. Man. Um,
0: but but thinking about if you go to your pastor as the man and he says, Well, you should just pray it away well, you might get like a, a this this bump of confidence, right? Well, oh, okay, he said I can just pray it away so I can just do that, right? But then when you have these hierarchical systems in marriage and the, they really, really believe that um, they are in charge and they're the leader of the house, even in the midst of sin, which blows mm-hmm. my mind. Like to, to me, even if you believe in complementarianism, the moment you're involved in something like addiction and betrayal, like that just blows, blows up. It just is destroyed completely. So even if you believe in that, which we don't, but if you did believe in the hierarchical system there, this plays into it in such a damaging way that he is then empowered to then power over his wife and say, well, I'm praying about it. I don't need to do anything. And you need to be the submissive wife who still has sex with me. Even though I betrayed you, I'm showing no signs of, healing or recovery and yet I am in control of this relationship. I'm justified in doing so. Mm -hmm. And spiritually you have nothing to say to me to actually get help. You can't, you can't impact me in that way. I think that is one of the most damaging things that can happen.
1: Well, And I mean, there's so many messages from the church that have reinforced this notion of spiritual bypass. I mean, think about what the the example of what happened, what has happened and this doesn't happen every church, but what has happened to, um, clergy or whomever who get caught yeah and in the, in the most harmful of ways they they throw them off they say you can no longer work here you are no longer allowed to be here or anything like that so they kick them out so then not only does that person not get the support they need the wife doesn't get the support they need nobody maybe the victims if they were victims of something they don't get the nobody, support yeah, they, yeah no, nobody gets the support they need and what that what that indicates to people is that hey you should have just been able to stop it Mm-hmm. And and you know, unfortunately, right?
0: Yeah, it's a choice. Which right. again, we do believe it is. Yeah, as I an adult, initially- there are choices that are made. And when it's an addiction, you always start with a choice. Choices involve the entire time to not, not ask for help and all those sorts of things. Right. And we we've talked about this a lot. That once the addiction starts rolling, it's like that you know snowball accumulation right. of brain right. right. chemicals and, and, and all sorts of right. stuff.
1: And you cannot get help on your own. You you just right. You have of, to have house. a team. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So
0: and people and. Support and community. Yeah,
1: so I think I think you know what what's interesting is the place where people go for spiritual support is can in in a lot of cases be the place that really reinforces the notion of spiritual bypass, which further perpetuates in how they how they react to it and what people observe around them. Oh yeah, you know the the, the fledgling addict or the you know the, the point where people are allowed to could if in a healthy situation. Get a lot of health mm-hmm. that would prevent some future harm.
0: Oh yeah. Um yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately the church has been a huge catalyst in a lot of these areas yes. because of the way they respond and they make situations much worse as opposed to people who are coming to them and trusting them, them giving them the support that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a um you had mentioned um the or that we were talking about the support and community aspect of it, and you know, you think The church by saying go pray it away or go have more sex with your husband or whatever or or one of the most common is um forcing women into forgiveness before they're ready which is ridiculous that should be a whole episode that we talk about forgiveness because you (laughs) they're basically told you have to forgive before there's any evidence of change whatsoever
2: Right, right right
0: um but the idea of they go to get this support and, and church saying these things to them actually then keeps them in isolation and working on it by themselves. Because if I, if I'm right, that's just something that I do by myself Mm -hmm. in my head, which is like the worst place for an addict to be. And so then you, um, are alone yeah. you don't have the well, community you don't have the support you're not talking yeah. to anybody well
1: one of the one of the roots of of, of addiction or you know the roots of shame is denial yeah. so how can you spiritually bypass how do you even know how do you even know that that you are in mm-hmm. that you are moving into healing yeah i like, mean it, maybe you stop the behavior but this is a this is a relational issue. This is a, you know, how do you know that you're improving in your ability to maintain positive mm-hmm. relationships? Yeah, because how so many times when this
0: happens, like the the women that are in relationships like this will say, hey, my husband is is saying, you know, he's resisting therapy. He's resisting mm-hmm. group. He's resisting, like acknowledging that he has a problem because he says, well, I prayed it away. I should have just had this, you know, whatever. And then they're sitting here on the other side going, but you're not demonstrating actual healing. Like you're not demonstrating love to me in a way that a man in recovery or a husband that truly is reflecting what the Bible says about marriage is supposed is as treating me that way. You're not treating right. me that way. You're treating me as somebody that's angry, that has, you know, these woundings yeah. that is isolated, that is, um, you know, resentful, that is controlling, that is manipulative, Right. So all of those lack yeah. of empathy in general is what it is a sign of not healing. Mm-hmm. And so when they are using this spirituality to they, Oh, I'm, I'm recovered. God has healed me. And you're acting like that. I'm sorry. No, he hasn't.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: You may have stopped the behavior, but that is not recovery. Right. Right. And, and to think that you can just treat people poorly and say, well, I'm not actively, Looking at pornography, so therefore I'm a good husband. You know, Mm -hmm. is
1: ridiculous. Yeah, well, it's a you know it's a uh, it's a community issue, and and you have to heal through the use of community. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I think they always say you know, um, uh, I I I just said it. You you get you get hurt in community, you get healed in community, and so you can't bypass it away. I think a lot of folks you know are like, well, you know, it happened to Paul, and and I think what what we miss on Paul.
0: Is what
1: happened to Paul? Saul. Sorry, Saul and Paul. So basically God showed up, he blinded him.
0: Oh, the conversion, like the, yeah. the miracle right. that the they're miracle. waiting for. Right. Yeah. I think
1: I think everybody, you know, I always feel like, hey, you're not Paul. You know what I mean? Like, like you're really not Paul. But I think well, even that's if-
0: thing where I wanted to mention at the beginning is like, listen, it's not that we don't believe in miracles. It's right. not that we don't believe God is capable of these things. It's not that we don't believe he can do these things, or even that sometimes he does do these things, mm-hmm. but it's not the majority.
1: Right. And so you don't
0: hang your hat on this. You do the work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I also think, too, I mean, look at the you know, if you look at at some of the stuff that that Paul writes and I'm reading most of the New Testament right now as I'm reading through it, as I'm spiritual bypassing my life. I'm reading the New Testament right now.
2: (laughs) We do this all Uh, the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, but there's a you can see in his writing a process. Mm -hmm. It's. You know what I mean? Like, like, is he oh my gosh, had I mean, his he experiences? And he had he, all
0: sorts of suffering in his life. Right, he had a faith. Really
1: yeah. I mean, he had the physical suffering, getting thrown in jail and all of these different yeah. things. But, you know, he had a he had a falling out with Barnabas. Is that right? Barnabas? Um, I probably should have known that. No, that, yeah, that. no, you're right. Is that right? Okay. Like 99% um,
0: sure that's
1: correct. Yeah. I was like, is it Silas? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's
0: Barnabas.
1: Sorry to, the, sure. sorry to the theologians out yeah. there. Um but I you know he he went through a lot of relational change. now, you know, I think it's a good example. you, you know, it's just I, I just really feel like like
0: he had hard conversations.
1: He had very hard conversations yeah. and and
0: and he was not one to say,' oh, I'll, I'll go I'll go. Pray about it. I mean, not that he didn't. He was in constant communication. Yeah. God,
1: and, and if you think about what a lot of his his letters were, how to get along with each other, yeah, yeah. how to how to you know interact with each demonstrate other, love, and like,
0: compassion, compassion, absolutely. Community. He
1: wasn't like, hey, go pray it away.
0: Share the difficult stuff with each other. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I really think that 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 people, you know, with that whole you know, just stop it thing, it's very much like, well, everybody can be like Saul, mm-hmm. Paul, and. And and those are, that's a very, you know, I think that's a great example. Yeah.
0: I also think Jesus is an example because like, who are we supposed to emulate? Right. We're supposed to emulate him as much Mm -hmm. as we can. Right. As he came in a human body and experienced all the human things that we did. But I you never see him doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, there's examples where he does not do that. And to me, what comes to mind is him 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Like he was God. Like, yeah, he was a human, but he was God. What could he have done? He could have said, um, I'm ending this on day one. First of all, he could have also said, um, well, I, I will just pray like, like Satan even brought that up, right? Like you could just pray and like have the angels here or like, I could just take care of this. Right. Or he could just not do anything and just yeah. like sit there and ignore him and like pray in his head. Right. But what did he actually do? He went through the process of experiencing mm-hmm. the emotions and the temptations and, um the experience of being through this for 40 days right. without food you know yeah. and suffering physically right. and probably mentally as a human being mm-hmm. and then he took what he took the tools and resources that he had right. fought back against it and ultimately won and then and that's not separate from god i mean obviously he was god and and i'm yeah. sure you know connected to god and god was supporting him but it wasn't just not taking any action and letting some other Um, deity do something for him he demonstrated as a deity who could do all of those things for himself what it looks like to use the tools and resources and take action and go through the difficult painful process
1: right right. well if you think i I would often think about this you know from from jesus life it was the night he was seized he went with the with the you know couple disciples and and uh, he asked them he begged them to stay awake then he went and prayed and they came back and they were asleep. And that happened twice, right? Mm-hmm. Or three mm-hmm. times. or whatever. And he didn't do that because he did that because he desired community. He desired people to be there mm-hmm. waiting for him. He was very vulnerable in that moment. And he was sad
2: mm-hmm. when
1: he came back and saw they were asleep because you know, he needed them. Mm-hmm. He recognized that in that moment of extreme pain, realizing what he was going to go into mm-hmm. is he needed those human beings who he was very close mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. to be there with him. Yeah, And they let him down, mm-hmm. you know, they let him down.
0: Yeah, and I think so, and that's a, such a good point because we've talked about this with like the chosen and how it um, personifies like the h- human side of mm-hmm. Jesus and like the, the fatigue that he would feel and the emotional stress that he would feel. And I think so often when we, read the Bible, we just think of him so much as the God side,
2: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: That we go, oh, well, that part ruled more of his body than the human part. And so therefore, maybe he didn't really suffer like we did. Maybe he didn't really feel all the emotions that we did and go through all the pain. No, he did. I mean,
1: he cried blood. Yeah, he yeah, was you know so I mean.
0: stressed out that that he his tears turned into blood, like he was sweating blood or whatever it was. Yeah. And I mean, that's a real medical condition that's been documented, Like that's, that's tremendous mental and emotional suffering. Um, and what did he do? He chose to go through that right now. We know the purpose of that, mm-hmm. but at any time he could have snapped his fingers. And I think so much of his life and the reason he came was to give us those examples mm-hmm. and to show us what it's like to actually be in a human body and still choose to do the hard things. Because on the other end is where, or through the process and, and getting to the other side is where the growth happens, yeah. and and I think that's what's so sad about this. And again, I, I want to balance this with with compassion and with love too, because you know there are situations where a lot of guys are out there just using this to to get what they want and to manipulate their wives, and and you know that's not cool. It's not kind, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people that sincerely, and you are one of those people, sincerely, truly believe that. Well, if I just pray harder, like this will go away. Right. And so we do want to balance this with, with love for those people, because sometimes I think it's just a flat out mischaracterization Mm -hmm. and misunderstanding of scripture and misunderstanding of how God works in the world. Like, like we said, yes, it is possible for him to tap you on the shoulder and take, take the, uh, temptations away or 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 illness or to heal you. And, I believe all of that is absolutely possible, but I just also believe that 99% of the time, the way he works in order to help us, it's not that he's not involved in the process, but in order to help us actually achieve growth and to move forward in um, in our purpose, in our humanness, is actually have us to go through things where we take action. And we, you know, it's, it's like the idea of... Um, Like hiring a coach, right? Like, or, or any sort of financial transaction that you do for help, whether it's like hiring a, a a doctor or um, paying for um, something that you find value in, right? And there's something to that transaction where there's a little bit of skin in the game and it makes it worth it to you and you get a lot more out of it and it means more to you because there was effort put in. And I think that's one of the reasons that spiritual bypassing is so dangerous because you are attempting to skip all of the work and and avoid all the tools and the resources that God has literally put in front of you so that you can learn the things that you need to learn, expand Um, your level of compassion and empathy and love in the world and become step into the person he really wants you to be. It's not when I, when I say like, don't just pray about it and actually do the work. I'm not saying don't involve God. I think he's involved in every step of the process. I just think he uses some of these hard things to help us actually become who he wants us to be. And I think when we avoid that, it is a huge cop out and we end up not being the best people, the best versions of ourselves. And, and I know why we want to do this because this process is hard and you and I have over the past couple of years, faced some of the hardest emotions and, and things still come up, right? Like I was Mm -hmm. in a three hour processing session with one of my coaches this week and it was really deep, dark fears and insecurities and, and Mm -hmm. mental gremlins that I was facing and scared for years and years and years to even bring up and tell somebody that I struggled with and finding that safe place and working through it. And that's absolutely huge. But I know that this is worth it because when I was back in high school, before I really, um, before I really had any hard things in my life and started moving through them and experiencing this type of stuff, I was so black and white. I mm-hmm. was so black and white. Yeah, I was like, go. "This is this is
2: right."
0: Yeah, this is right. This is wrong. I have no compassion for people. You know, all this kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's how my brain worked. And then I started experiencing life a little bit yeah. and one of the biggest things that was like a, a huge earth-shattering like shift in my mentality was my divorce and that I always looked back on as a huge catalyst for empathy in my life because of the way people treated me through it the Christian community and how I was ostracized and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff and treated very poorly And then I really, it, that, that, um, experience in and of itself opened up my heart to see other people's life situations and go, wow, I probably don't know everything that's going on in their lives. I probably don't understand everything they're experiencing and maybe they're going through something really hard. And I just, it was like from that, that moment in my life basically was, you know, really making an effort to stop judging situations and judging people because I just didn't. You know, I knew what it felt like at that point yeah. and that made a yeah. huge shift. And so I've, I've noticed, you know, the more things that we go through like this, it's like the empathy and the love and the compassion for others really expands. And so I really feel mm-hmm. like spiritual bypassing is it's so ironic because you think, oh, I'm doing the right thing because I'm putting all the pressure on God and putting all the responsibility on God. Isn't he supposed to be in control? Mm-hmm. And yet you are removing the possibility of growth from your life by doing that yeah. so many times. Right. Are you looking for a support group for betrayal recovery? Many women who reach out to me are seeking a place where they can feel seen and heard while connecting with other women going through similar experiences. I am so excited to tell you that I am working on creating a support group to provide a safe community as well as all the tools and resources you need to spur your own growth moving forward i have noticed that facebook is a little clunky it doesn't make connecting with others in the group easy and often even if it's a private group it feels a little too public while there are support groups that exist some of them are only peer-to-peer with no group education or support moving everyone forward in their healing this can lead to groups where everyone is more stuck in a victim mentality instead of a growth mentality There may be other groups that are just course-led, allowing you to go through an online course, but leaving you without a community when you're done. So what I've been hearing from all of you is that you are looking for both the growth and the community aspect in a private and safe community that is easy to use and fits within your budget. So what if we could create something brand new, something that isn't on Facebook, but it is private and uses its own app? Something that is community focused, allowing you to connect both in a large group and personalized small groups of five to six women that you can develop deep relationships with. What if it offered live classes that you could either join in to engage with in question and answer, or you could just stick in the app and stream it live privately? What if it offered all the communities and lives in one place, so you weren't finding yourself jumping back and forth between Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Zoom, or you know all of the different apps? It could offer different levels of support and access based on your needs and budgets. And in addition to group and small group communities, it could also include practitioner guidance, classes and tasks for integrating and moving your healing forward. If all of this was offered for $25 a month, would you be interested? If so, please take just a few moments to provide some feedback at the link in the show notes. I am really excited about creating this new community and would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yes. No. That, that 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 was really. That, that was. Really I just awesome. a
0: long rant. I need a. I'm I mean, take a couple of sips. here. Well, it's your turn. Okay. You say something now.
1: In, insert elevator music. <laughs>
0: see, it's not scripted. Patrick didn't notice it. It's okay. It's
1: fine. Yeah. No. I, it's it's really. Um, uh, they're they're as. You are right. How people don't want to feel. There's um, these emotions that lead to healing. But they are the things that shape you as a person who, you know, I think most folks, most young people will hold an idealism to them. And that, you know, that's good because it kind of shapes their careers and things like that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of real hurt out there. And I think with the process that I've been through, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday at work about somebody else. And I said, do you know why they act that way? And they were like, "No, I don't. I don't understand why they, this person's kind of, br- you know, blunt and mm-hmm. things like that." And so I talked through like what could be a fear for that person. Mm-hmm. And the person I was talking to was like, "Man, I never thought of that." And I'm honestly, be- I honestly believe that I wouldn't have that perspective had I not gone through. Oh my gosh, so you're
0: um, you I I know for a fact watching you go through addiction recovery mm-hmm. and learning all these processes and tools has shifted the way you think about people. You've always been a really good boss, Mm -hmm. but I've heard some of the conversations that you have and the way that your perspective has shifted because now you view it through the lens of emotional wounding and trauma, and emotional experiences. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: that alone gives you a deeper understanding and compassion for people's behavior and responses and thought processes and life experiences. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think that has Mm -hmm. for sure. So, um, we have sort of talked a lot about it from the side of, you know, men using this as an excuse not to get into addiction recovery. Right. But women do this too, um, or be trade partners do this as well. And again, um, I think a lot of times it is born out of, a sincere heart mm-hmm. in saying um, I really have to lean on God right now. I really have to trust him that there's a purpose for this in my life, that he loves me, that he's going to take control of this, that mm-hmm. um, there's a reason that I'm going through this horrible, horrible thing right now. And I want to put all of my faith and all of my effort into him. Cause he's the only thing I can trust right now. Right. When trust is completely destroyed and blown up in your life. A lot of times God is the only thing yeah. you feel like you can put, um, put your energy into. and." what that often shows up as in a lot of the same, same ways, same concept, same end result is I'm not going to go to a coach, go to a practitioner, go to a therapist. I'm not going to face the emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be denial about the depth of the spouse's addiction. It may be, I don't want to have all the information, which everyone's a little bit different in the amount of information that they want to know. And I get that, but generally speaking, only having a little bit is probably not enough for you to know the person that you're married to or to give full consent for your body and your marriage moving forward. And so like there is a level to which I find it very important to be willing to go through the process of getting the information you need and go through the emotional healing and recovery process. Um, But what's scary about it is you are essentially saying when you choose to do this, More or less, I'm willing to traumatize my brain Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for a period of time in order to get the information I need and move forward. And I think a lot of women, rightly so, are afraid of that. Mm -hmm. And I have a very, I would say, sensitive brain. My brain Mm -hmm. views things in pictures. So if I read something that's scary or traumatic, I see it in my mind and it's very traumatizing for me. And this whole process of learning about the addiction brought so many images to mind and so many thoughts and it pulled up other traumas for me and other past and it's, it really has caused like a trauma debris storm of images in my mind. That's really like horrible. Like I don't like that. I didn't, you know, I didn't want that. And, um, I wouldn't go back and not learn what I know now because I know who you are. Um, I understand more about addiction. I understand more about the world. Um, and, and, you know, I have, absolutely invested the time and in the tools and resources to support my body and my brain through that.
2: Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, so, but it happens on both sides. And the typical way that it shows up is I believe that God is going to handle this. I'm waiting for a miracle in my life. All I need to do is pray harder, be more faithful, be the submissive wife, um, you know, toe the line, do the right thing, quote unquote, and God's going to reward me in the end. And sometimes that's not the way it works.
1: You know, I I, I heard this it's, it's actually Ted Roberts talks about this. Um, you know, there's a, a, or maybe it's Doug Weiss, um, mentions that part of the time when, when you know you're, you've got a wound is when you can't tell your story. Mm -hmm. So here would be a good example. Um, Mm. on the wife's side, you know, Hey, Hey, what's going on in your family? Oh, everything's fine. We're just working through a couple of things mm. versus I just found out that my husband had a 12 year pornography addiction or he's had three affairs that I didn't know about. And I'm really trying to process through that. So yeah,
0: say say that line again. That's really,
1: you really know when you have a wound when you can't tell your full story. Yeah. And so think about That's it on, huge. on, on the, the betrayed side, but also on the betrayer, you know, if you can't tell your story, Hey, I was, I was addicted to cyber mm-hmm. sex and I spent a lot of money and I, you know, I did inappropriate things. And and so, you know, that, that, you know, could I have said that on a podcast four years ago? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? But that it wasn't because I was a horrible person. So I was deeply wounded.
0: I think that's such a good way to bring that up because what we're trying to say is that spiritual bypassing still leaves room for shame. Mm-hmm. And if whatever you're doing still leaves room for shame or guilt, then it's not actual recovery. Right. And here's, here is my belief. And that is that Jesus wants you in full recovery. He does. And that means freedom Man. from the actual. So you can be in sobriety. You can be praying your brains out. Um, you can be a wife who's really struggling and just saying, God, like I'm so sad, but I know you're going to restore this marriage. Well, restoring marriage takes work and it takes right. human work and it takes two people interacting and having these hard conversations. And it really takes, doing the emotional healing work to overcome the shame, overcome the embarrassment. I think that is an incredibly powerful point to say that. And and you don't have to do it like that. You don't have to have a podcast or like put it on a platform of millions of people on social media or anything like that. But I, I, you know, we often hear stories about um, women in particular that say, you know, I don't have a support system because I don't want to throw my husband under the bus and tell anybody that he's done this stuff. And that leaves you so alone and so isolated in your situation. And it doesn't allow you the support or the process to actually heal and be able to share your story without embarrassment, because what if you could go through this process you know, like this. And and again, not on a podcast per se, but to a friend and say, yeah, my, my husband had a sex addiction for 10 years. He's been in recovery for, you know, three for two, for five, for 10, whatever. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you the process that it took to recover and where we are today.
1: Well, and and, you know, there's, there's, you know, because
0: they might be going through the same thing. That's right.
1: You know, there, there, there are people out there and I, and I'm, I'm surprised at the network of people that we've come in contact with who need help, who, you know, you don't need to be a, a Ph.D. with you know 10 years of CSAT um, experience to help somebody going through this process. You need to be somebody who's working on your own process, who could be three days in front of the other person mm-hmm. and can help them through it. If I could read this out of, um, there's, a, there's a really good book called Safe by Nick Stumbo. He's the executive director of Pure Desire Ministries. And um, his book is called Safe, Creating a Culture of Race in a Climate of Shame. And the, and the, the passage is believing that change is simple. Another wrong path is to act as if change is simple, only a matter of deciding to change. Maybe we don't say as much, but our actions betray us. We give the person struggling with sin a few verses to read and tell them to pray more, assuming this will fix the problem. Now prayer is powerful and the word of God does change lives, but this counsel isn't a magic cure. Changing our bad behavior was as simple as making a choice to never do it again. No one would struggle with sin. We would simply say to God, others or ourselves, "I will never do that again and we would be free. How many of us have said that a million times about a million different faults and yet we find ourselves back again? Change isn't simple, and this is I think where it's where it's, this is the key to, the, to what we're talking about. Change isn't simple. And when we act like it is, we become a performance-based culture, mm-hmm. not a grace-based culture. Mm-hmm. So when and I think you you mentioned it, it's like when we when we spiritual bypass, we don't actually feel the full um weight of God's grace for us. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're just doing things versus really believing we're what just he doing has things and we're waiting us.
0: for Him to just do things for us. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's you know it's uh, it's interesting because you think about a, a marriage relationship. You think about okay, what what is the level of work that it takes to have a really healthy relationship and good communication, right? And it's I posted something the other day that it was basically like it um it only takes one person to destroy a marriage, but it takes two to recover a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, mm-hmm. it takes, and and you think about that in your relationship with God, it's the same thing, right? Like I think so many times, and and, and you know historically this is essentially societally almost what we're taught is that God is this, um, you know, genie that we just put some coins in the slot and get our wish out. Right. And we get frustrated if we don't get our wish. (laughs) And he's like, well, you know, I have this process for you to actually learn and develop um, these character qualities and these characteristics and to learn how to communicate better and to learn how to, Um, navigate relationships better and to learn how to interact with your fellow humans better. And Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you your wish if you're asking me to skip over all of that, because that's, I, I, you know, I think a lot of times he's going, Hey, I am trying to help you. You gotta work with me here. You gotta take the opportunities that I'm actually putting in front of you. And so often, not always, but so often that does look like going to work with a coach. Sitting down and doing the trauma work, feeling mm-hmm. the emotions, learning how to support your nervous system, like all these practical things. And I think some people want to spiritualize it so much, it's just this magic, like, oh, my whole body is healed. And it's like, no, sometimes there are actual tangible tools that he, he gives you. These are in the world, used by Christians, provided by Christians to help you. Right. Right. And non-Christians
1: too. I mean, there's Absolutely. a lot of yeah. So um, we've talked a lot about spiritual bypass. I wanted to talk a little bit about how the church and some of its stuff creates this spiritual bypass. So this is actually some examples out of a, a book I'm reading right now called The Healing Church, mm-hmm. What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It by Sam Black. And so it's got some really good things in there. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give two con, contrasting examples of what the church can do to reinforce spiritual bypass. And then it kind of goes into that spiritual abuse pattern as well. Mm -hmm. So um, these are examples of experiences that hurt us. After after telling my priest about the porn, he said, you are both broken people and need to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Before I left his office, he gave me suggestions. Go on a date night once a week. Have more sex. Let him be the leader he needs to be. Mm -hmm. I've never been back. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So think about that. A oh, man that just,
2: that just makes sense. You know, right. it,
1: it, what, what happens in, in a lot of these situations is, is, is you don't know. The addicted doesn't know. The betrayed doesn't know. They're searching for answers. They don't know. And so the first person, if you think about it, and and, and God wants the church to be a healing place, mm-hmm. they go to the church to get some healing.
0: Think about and that that's example. The advice they get. Think about that example. That happens all the time. Of I hear comments from yeah. women like that all the time. Think about That example, if that husband had come in feeling like what's wrong with me and I need help, got that advice and then literally by that advice was just taught, oh, I can actually blame this on my wife. You're right. She doesn't dress sexy enough for me. She doesn't. You know what I mean? Like if he came in with the heart of like help me and then heard that advice, it could very easily be interpreted as, "Okay, well, that's actually my wife's fault.
1: Yeah. So here's here's a um, here's here's the other side. Um, when I discovered my husband had been looking at porn for 20 plus years of our marriage, my pastor and his wife acknowledged that long-term porn use was as damaging to our relationship as having an affair. It's exactly what I've been feeling. They supported me and offered to find me help.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I can talk, I mean, I can speak into personal, personal example with this. When I got divorced the first time, um, the first time I've never been divorced since. (laughs) Just the
1: If I don't contribute well in this context, it's all on the, uh, uh, the cards are on the table. Uh
0: no, when I when I got divorced, um my ex had cheated on me. And my pastor at the time insisted on having a meeting with me and emailed me multiple times. And I said, No, I don't I don't really feel like this is appropriate to talk to you about, right? Like I was this is my personal life that I was making a decision on that I was living right for the past couple years with my husband. And, um, kept emailing me and kept emailing like, no, I'd really like to get together with you. And I was just like, I don't want to, I don't feel like this is appropriate. And I don't really feel like there's any involvement needed here. Um, my dad was on the board at the time, the deacon board or whatever. And I was like, well, maybe you should sit down with him and all stand of. So I took my mom, we, we sat down and it just turned into this whole thing of, well, you need to do counseling with people that I want you to have counseling with and all things. he basically talked at me for like an hour. I don't remember talking a lot. I think I said a couple things at the very beginning and throughout that hey I have a counselor. He's a Christian counselor. No, <laughs> like, I'm comfortable where I am, you know, kind of defending my position of I can handle myself, you know, and I can make decisions for myself. But what had happened, you know, talking about spiritual bypassing and manipulation, and how it all typically plays hand in hand or, or often does. Um, my ex had been somebody that wasn't really going to church when we got together and started going because I did. And, you know, he kind of molded into that. Um, maybe he sincerely wanted yeah. to, but, mm. but also I think part of it was like, well, she does and we're going to be in a relationship. And okay. So then he got into it. And, and so then he, when we, when all this came out, went to the pastor of the church that I had been at for 17 years. Like I grew up in this church and people knew me and my family and we were heavily involved. He went, had been going for a couple of years, talked to the pastor, no idea what he said, but whatever it was that he said laid that foundation, right? So then I go in with the pastor separately and it's all about what I need to do mm-hmm. and what I should do and nothing about, you know, my ex's um, responsibility in it really at all. Just that I should try harder for the marriage mm-hmm. and um, give it another shot and go through counseling and all this kind of stuff But people that. That the pastor wanted me to, and we we walked out of that. And and my mom, even I think she was kind of frustrated with me. Went back and said, "Hey, you do know, like she found porn on the computer like three months in or something like that." Not didn't even face him. Basically, acted like that was no big deal, right?
1: I wonder why.
0: Right? Yeah, and and you know, being married to me and going through all this process how big a trauma that was in my life, mm-hmm. that church experience and their response to what I was going through. And I remember thinking, cause the pastor had a daughter and I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, if your daughter was me right now, your response would be completely different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If she wasn't. And if you had lived in my shoes and been in the relationship that I had been in, your response would be dis- different. Right. But instead essentially what he wanted me to do was spiritually bypass the situation. Right. And I mean to his credit, quote unquote, um recommending counseling or whatever, but how, you know, you don't, you don't just take control of the situation, right? You talk to somebody well, it, and you say, it, right. never, never do I remember any empathy or compassion right.
1: That's what I was gonna say. Being expressed to you me. You lead with acknowledging the pain, right? right? Hey, listen, I understand this is an extremely difficult. Mm-mm. You know, could I offer you some advice? No,
0: it was bold. To me like shop, that. Let right. me control the situation and coerce you into behaving the way i want you to behave in this situation right. Right. which was totally wrong yeah. totally wrong yeah. and just and you know it caused a lot of church trauma for me for a really yeah. really long yeah. time and i had a lot of a lot of
1: well and and, and and i think i think what what what's happened is churches you know the uh the the, the book that i just read from the healing church they talk about a couple different um uh, sides to it so certain churches will react very harshly and you know, throw fire their people. You know, fire people mm-hmm. or kick people out of the church or have them come up and publicly confess and all these different things that have no, then other churches will be very grace filled and they'll say, oh, Hey, I'm really sorry, sorry. Or Hey, we forgive you and stuff like that. But there, yeah, be, the you know, right, there won't be any path to healing or anything like that. And so, you know, what, what, what we want to do is, you know, from a, um, a spiritual health piece is do in the middle, you know what I mean? Like, like maybe somebody who's in a, in a church leadership position who's been caught, mm-hmm. um, they need to step down. They absolutely need to step down. But take you, them
0: through the healing Take them through the
1: healing process and you put you them pass in the
0: set up. You, right. did, you yeah. offer the community, you yeah. offer them the love and say, hey, like, we don't view you differently. We know you're struggling, and we have this group over here. Right.
1: right. You
0: know, no, we're not going to have you lead youth group, or no, we're not going to have you be the right. associate pastor. Right. So we
1: understand where you are. That could be a block, right? Yeah. You know, that that could be. A-
0: and and that's the, that's the church really getting behind the idea of sobriety versus recovery too, mm-hmm. right? And so, and we were talking about earlier when these when men go, "Oh, I'm praying and I'm in sobriety," like, "What's your problem?" Right. They don't understand the idea of actual recovery. Recovery is a loving husband. Recovery is empathy. Recovery right. is understanding the pain you caused mm-hmm. your spouse that you've cheated on. Recovery is actually acknowledging that it is cheating. Right. Like yeah. you were reading in that book that it, the it, whether it's virtual or real or in person or touching or not touching doesn't matter. Right. The fallout on the betrayed spouse is the same. And so recovery is understanding and taking responsibility right. for all of that. It's not saying, well, I haven't masturbated this week. Why aren't you having sex with me? Yeah,
1: <laughs> You know, it's a, I was thinking about this, you know, so we we are involved in two churches and, and they're both full of wonderful people. And, and the, uh, the pastoral staffs at, at both churches are, are wonderful and they, and they, they grow and they mean well and all of these different things. And I think about this, you know, both churches, when you had cancer, you know, they, they brought food yeah. and they prayed and they supported mm-hmm. when it, when this all came out, and we've been public with it, so it hasn't been like it's a, been a big secret, the reactions are very different. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The reactions are very – and then, I mean, so I don't want to throw people under the bus no, we, and we, all that we, stuff. Both
0: churches are awesome. Yeah,
1: but I think what it, it does highlight is this notion of um, – and I think you probably see the same, you know, if somebody comes out that has been a cocaine addict or something like that. People have a hard time knowing how to react to that. It's much easier to sign up That's for a share a reason. meal service yes. and to, you know, say, hey, we'll come over we'll clean your house. You know, and it's
0: because you have to understand if it's not happening to you, it's happening to, to your friend sitting next to you in the pew.
1: That's right. It's that pervasive. It's
0: that prevalent. And so, you know, you... you I think what happens is people feel triggered by the fact that we are willing to talk about it so publicly. I think there's part of that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, Mm -hmm. I would never feel secure enough to say that. So that like, why are they right? There's that probably in in a few cases. Right. And then there's a lot of, well, that's embarrassing. And, And, you know, people said that to me too, of the whole, like, why are you, why are you hanging your husband's dirty laundry out for the public to see? And I'm like, that is so far from like the way that we view this. Mm-hmm. It's dirty laundry if you're regularly cheating on me and I'm calling you out on social media. Right. It's different if we are saying, "Hey, this is a really horrible thing that we both experienced. This is what it means and we're recovering from it and this is how you too can recover if you or someone you know yeah. is dealing with this." And that was our goal. Is like, "Let's talk about this." And yeah. So the, the responses from the churches are really different. Um, it's, v- it's very fascinating to just, um, you know, even like through my divorce and then through this, to just watch, like see how Christians respond. It's, and, and Christians in different communities, right? It's And different pastors. It's very, very interesting um, to see how some people just love and pour out compassion and empathy mm-hmm. and are so incredibly supportive and how other people will alienate you. Um, and then some people in the yeah. middle are just like what you're yeah. saying. Like I don't know what to say, so yeah. I just don't yeah. say anything. I, I think that's
1: okay too, and I, and I think that's where the uh, where the church and, and and messages can come in to actually tell people what to say, to show right. people. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it's amazing how when you hear, you know, when when you know, <laughs> and I use this example with with flying. The first time somebody showed me how to land a helicopter mm-hmm. and pick it up to a hover, I was like, oh wow, okay. Yeah. Now I can figure that out. So, like, if somebody says, hey, listen, if you hear about somebody in the church who's been betrayed, one of the best – don't say, man, I don't know what to say to her. One of the best things you can say is acknowledge the hurt Mm -hmm. and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you, if there's anything. I mean, that – just that incredibly empathetic Mm -hmm. moment. I remember when I shared my story with my boss, and it was a very hard thing to do, and I don't know, I was, like, five Mm -hmm. months in or whatever. His first thing – his first comment to me was, how can I support you? Mm -hmm. You know? Wow!
2: Really? Yeah, that's
1: amazing. When I actually thought that mm. he would, you know, there would be consequences, you know, so you or, yeah. yeah, so shame you, right? Exactly. And even, I mean, even you, I mean, like as I'm pouring out my broken, disjointed <laughs> confession on day one, you know, you're hugging me, you know what I mean? So I think people don't, I, I mean, the the incredible healing power of just. being empathetic and listening and saying, how can I help? You
0: know, I I mean, the fear is there for a real reason, right? Like when I talk about my divorce story, like there was um, ostracizing, there was uh, Mm -hmm. control, there was manipulation, there were lost relationships. Right. And so if you um, find that when you talk to people, that's their response, just know that that's not everybody. And it is okay for you to leave those groups and leave those communities and to walk away and to find a community of people that will support you.
1: We all deserve to be in community and relationships where we are loved.
0: And it's a reminder that that is not you. They are not behaving in a Christ-like manner when that happens. And so it's totally reasonable to find a community that does.
1: And, you know, I was thinking about this as we were talking. So when we talk about like how, how wonderful the church is when they come alongside you when you're sick and prayer requests go out and all of these different things, it's, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. Um, generally, when there is a health issue, people will say there's a health issue. Generally, when there's an addiction issue, they won't stay. Right, that. Right, they don't know. And so I think about this. I'm like, you know, God died on the cross, not because of our cancer or our intestinal problems or our broken finger. He died on the cross for our sins. And so he's giving us grace from our sins. He's not giving us grace from our cancer or our broken leg or our torn meniscus. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is, is, you know, God is already residing in those areas where, they're hard to talk about. He's in those moments, and and for whatever reason, you know, we have bypassed ourselves through Christianese or whatever that is to stay away from those those environments where we should talk openly about the hurt that's caused by, um, you know, obsession with spending or overeating yeah. or sex addiction or. Um, alcoholism you know the 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 emotional and physical impacts of those things Mm -hmm. that's where god wants to do his work and and sometimes we don't let him because of the spiritual
0: ideal place for healing should be the church
1: absolutely yeah and i think i think this generation
0: we should lead the world in that and i think this generation is um beginning to shift in that direction and seeing that and I think that's with deconstructions.
1: It. I think deconstruction is, is saying, hey, this church didn't heal. It's not a healing place. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna push back and we're gonna find a way to make the mm-hmm. church a healing place again. Mm-hmm. And and more power to the churches who have gotten in front of that in mm-hmm. the in the um the, the clergy that have said, Hey, we need to take a lead on that and are willing to step back and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I made some mistakes and what I, you know what I mean? That's incredible.
0: Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think whenever, that's why when, um, Pastor Rick Warren came out and said, Hey, one of the biggest regrets I have in 50 years of ministry is, um, the stance I took on women preaching in Mm -hmm. the church and their right to do so. Uh, you know people are like oh it's about time and i'm like yeah it is about time and i'm not gonna gonna bash this guy for coming to the right conclusion i mean it took him time yeah but good for him for doing the mental and emotional work to go counterculture to everything that he's believed for 50 years to do the research and actually make a different decision Mm -hmm. we should celebrate that not shame him for the time it took him right right? right. yeah
1: Yeah. we all you know it it takes time it takes time to grow it takes you know i'm I'm 51. I sometimes I look back on on this process and go man how much time did I waste you, you know what I mean with with this and you know it would've been great if I could have you know gotten perspective in my 30s or my 20s or you know what I mean like like but I think and this is hard because I never want to be like hey this is wonderful like the process had to happen the way the process had to happen.
0: Yeah. We've talked about that too. You even know? the timing of discovery in our relationship, like yeah. where it happened and when it happened, me being in a place that I could respond the way I responded mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, yeah. and being where we are today being so worth it in the end.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And so so I'll wrap this up with, well, what do you, what do you do instead? If, if you're listening to this and you go, man, I, I didn't realize I've been doing this and I've been doing it with the right mindset, right? Of just trusting God more. And I didn't realize that that was you know, a bad thing. And again, trusting God is not a bad thing. But, you know, if you're listening to the thing going, oh, man, I, I didn't realize I was spiritually bypassing. What the heck do I do? Here's what I think you do. I think you you mix the two together. And so you ask God to be part of the healing process and you involve him through it. And you ask him for wisdom and guidance and strength, and you ask him for the heart and the mind transformation. But while you're doing that, you as a human get down to work. And what that typically looks like, and we talk about this on the podcast a lot, is you work with other humans and you get in support groups and you work on the emotions and you get into coaching or therapy or whatever. And if you're a betrayed spouse and you need that support, please reach out, look at the link um, in, in the show notes, because I do work with betrayed women one-on-one and we spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. processing these really hard emotions and untangling, you know, anger that you're feeling or untangling, um, anxiety. I just had a call yesterday with a client who she was experiencing a lot of anxiety. And so we were able to do an emotional processing session where we actually spoke to the anxiety. And it was just really cool because, she was able to drop down into her body, which I always love when we do these exercises, because part of what happens in betrayal is you lose trust for other human beings. But a lot of times you lose trust for yourself. And a lot of the exercises that we do actually help build that trust with your body again, because so often when they get on a call with me to say, hey, like is working together the right fit or they fill out a form or whatever. Well, a lot of times what one of their goals is, is to learn how to trust themselves again and some of these exercises kind of intrinsically do that as the end result because if you're dropping down and you're you're learning how to name your emotions and how to talk to them and how to Respond to them, that's your body. And you're learning how to acknowledge it and validate it and respond to it. And over time, you learn how to trust that more and more and more and more. And that process becomes faster. And you then can identify the feeling and you know exactly what it's trying to communicate to you and you know exactly what to do. And sometimes that means setting a boundary. Sometimes that means um, that you've identified a limiting belief. And then you write that down and you bring it to your coach the next week and you process that limiting belief about yourself. Because if you have identified through that, process that you actually believe that no matter what you do, you're going to live a life um, a certain way because you're unlovable. Well, that's going to hinder you from the life that you consciously say that you want, right? Which is to be in community and love and relationship and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So this is the type of stuff that we do in our sessions together one-to-one and it does take time and and it does take a process, but it is so worth it in the end.
1: And I think, you know, as you're sitting there talking, I'm thinking about, in the context of everything you're talking about, how how you're helping this person and and, and from the context of, of trying to avoid spiritual bypass, everything you talked about that you do with your clients is something that other people have shown you how to do. And mm-hmm. they were shown by other people mm-hmm. taking them through their own healing mm-hmm. process. And one of the things that, that Dr. Ted Roberts talks about is, you know, he recommends his prayers. You know, you pray to God. You say, "Show me how I can change," mm-hmm. and He uses human beings in yeah, other situations to show you, to show you that. Yeah. So, so I think it. It, you know, I just thought that was interesting as you were talking through your process. You didn't just. I just didn't wake up one day. Yeah, into your head.
0: Yeah, and actually, thoughts. that's such a good point because the way I work, in particular, specifically, I use so many different modalities. There are so many ideas from so many humans over the course of so much time that I actually mix together and mush together and and make it so independent for every single client that like every call is different because Mm -hmm. every person is different. Right. And here's where I think God is involved. He's made our nervous systems to Mm -hmm. behave this way. He's made our nervous systems need to feel safety. He's created our brains. He understands the difference between the conscious and subconscious. These are just tools and modalities to work within what he has created. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's no separation between depending on God to help heal you and actually um, investing in your own healing with another human being. Like Mm -hmm. I think those go part and parcel um, because that's how you often accomplish, accomplish that end goal.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we hope that this was helpful. I hope we balanced it (laughs) effectively. I think we did. We talked about the church. We talked about the abuse. We talked about the sincere heart. Um, So if any of you are resonating with this, we we hope that it was helpful to you. And uh, if you need support, just look at the uh, links in the show notes and we'd be more than happy to point you in a direction of healing and next steps. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.